Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I've been speaking to Jacob Barnes, editor-in-chief of Soft Punk, a new literary and arts magazine that's working hard to tell stories you won't come across elsewhere. As you'll hear, Jacob and most of the team are navigating the move from university into work, and on one hand it seems almost an accident they've found themselves creating this magazine as a way of showcasing the sort of stories they love. But there's also something much more deliberate and ambitious going on with this. They're committing themselves to a really demanding quarterly publishing schedule and engaging with the sort of serious work that can make a real lasting impression on readers, at least it definitely did for me. I'm very pleased to say that we're selling copies of Soft Punk in the Stack shop, so head over to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop to see spreads and more information, and of course, to buy a copy for yourself. And I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Jacob Barnes. Hey, Jacob, thanks so much for coming over. Thank you for having me on. Good morning. Uh, so you are the man behind Soft Punk, which when I very first saw it, I was intrigued by this strapline of the quarterly prying sense from our strange presence. Uh, I love that. What does it mean? Uh, it means a couple of things. I mean, I think I, I foremost want to say that I, I feel very flattered to be considered the, the man behind it, but there are five of us and... Four of them are back in the U.S., and I think that, you know, when I look at this product, I look at their work more than I look at mine, and, and I have the luxury of kind of coordinating all of it, um, but I, I did, do want to kind of put that out there first. And and thinking about the quarterly prying sense and, you know, from our strange present, I think very much about thinking of, thinking of a time where I know that I, along with the other editors, have come of age not really knowing how to make sense of what's going on or, or consistently having to to kind of deal with almost um, with periods of time that seem almost ahistorical. You know, I think we, we consistently breach new ground um, politically, socially, and, and we're constantly looking for reference, but they don't really seem to exist in many capacities. So prying sense from our strange present is really having a group of people come together to really kind of put our collective knowledge in, you know, to, to, to offer it forward and and see what sense we can make in a world where we increasingly seem to find that there's very little of that, very little sense. Um, yeah. And this is really uh, impassioned publishing, I think. This is publishing with a real sense of purpose. Uh, and I, I love it when a magazine starts out with a manifesto or a set of rules and you've gone to town. So you, uh, at the start of this uh, first issue, uh, you outline your three core tenets uh, which kind of revolve around uh, opening a magazine up to new voices. Um, and you say uh, that the phenomenon of being a young person in our tumultuous times. And those three core tenets then lay, lead on to Ten Commandments. So maybe without going through all Ten Commandments, tell us what that guiding force is all about. Really the gist behind all of them is opening it up to a new series of voices. And, and we, um, we do put a premium primarily on young voices, but really to anyone who previously didn't have the opportunity to be, to be heard or was previously socially marginalized, we wanted to create a platform where those people could be, could be heard. The second, you know, the second kind of driving factor behind all of this 
is that I think amongst us editors, we've kind of grown up in an environment where we've seen a division superficially between high and low culture. That, um, you know, I think we've, we've been lucky enough to attend um, university and, you know, high schools that have allowed us to, to pursue academic knowledge and, and um, gratification. And we've been told growing up generally that some things were meant for us and others weren't, as those who come from certain educational backgrounds. And we've increasingly found today and in our personal lives that those don't really exist anymore. That, you know, we don't really know why we can't be listening to trap one moment and then go ahead and listen to, you know, Beethoven or Mozart and appreciate them in very different ways. And, and the same kind of goes for our, our reading and our, our artistic kind of influences. And we wanted a platform that really kind of paid heed to that, that paid heed to the fact that we are these kind of very complex cultural creatures um, that can in some ways do it all. And, and provide a platform where we're not really stymieing these voices that refuse to fall in one category or the other, and, and instead just saying, you know what, those barriers will break them down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so that that makes a lot of sense. And and you've got some really uh, quite extraordinary material from that. Um, I was interested at the start of that answer. You you mentioned you know you place a premium on young voices, but it's not all about young. And I think the piece that stands out for me the most out of the whole magazine is this uh, story of uh, Sonny, who is like a 40-something-year-old who's self-medicating with um, psychedelic drugs. And that story is... I I found it kind of difficult to read in places. I found it incredibly affecting how does something like that find its way into the pages of this magazine? Well, I think, you know, for all of our rhetoric concerning wanting to kind of combine high and low culture, we also are very, very committed to providing serious work. And, and when we found something like this, the author, Sam Broadway, is a good friend, um, friend of the magazine, friend of, you know, some of the editors very closely. And he had the story, he presented it to us, and we realized that this was right up our alley. In some ways, you know, he's a young, he's a young writer, um, but he is very articulate, kind of um, very astute in his observations. And we, we kind of realized that this was an opportunity to at once present something to our readers who might enjoy something recreationally and bring it back to a very serious point of criticism. You know, like this was, this was an opportunity to truly make sense of our strange times because these are things that I think in our world float around when we go to parties, when we do whatever, but I, this, was, this was a moment to kind of be reflective. Mm. Um, and I think that you, it, it was a very effective um, to all of us as well because we saw that this is an opportunity not only for the magazine but us personally and in our practices and in our editing to go deeper and really start to try and find meaning mm. instead of just being a little bit more sensationalist. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's difficult. I mean, the, you know, you're tangling with difficult subjects there. So the, a, a guy who, uh, so this, this character, Sonny, um, and by the way, I don't know if it's character or if this is a, a, a more of a documentary piece, but, the, but had been through very serious sexual abuse as a child and then really struggled throughout his life. And the, we find him at this point where he has found something that that makes a difference for him but it's absolutely far from a happy ending you know it's not like kind of you know he found psychedelics and now everything's okay yeah i mean of course it it, to your point it is a true story it is a piece of um of kind of legitimate journalism and and, and reporting Uh, the names are changed of course for, for privacy reasons but um no it's 
you said it before, it's a terribly hard story to read, which kind of made us all think that we should be reading it all the more. Hmm. Um, but, you know, to, to try and venture an answer or, or to venture kind of just an observation is not to make things better. It's not to, um, it's not to ne necessarily remedy everything. It's just perhaps to simply take stock. And we found that if we're just honest in our approach, you know, this, we're not trying to be didactic in anything we do. We're just trying to offer an opportunity to let readers make up their minds and to, and to provide a kind of platform for people to just, I think, grasp onto something that registers with them as some kind of truth. Mm -hmm. um, and, and really, you know, I think uh, you kind of, I think, pointed it out that it's far from happy, um, but maybe not everything we do is happy. And, and in terms of trying to understand that as a, as a person coming of age, that like we're not here to fix everything. We're not here to, to necessarily have all the answers, and that can be okay. We can, we can come up with a publication that's not trying to teach you something necessarily, mm -hmm. um, and just kind of be honest with ourselves and with our readership. We saw that as a perfect opportunity. Mm. So tell me about the start of all of this then. You said there are five of you who uh, are working on the magazine. How did you all come together and, and why make a magazine? Um, it's funny you ask that because, you know, we're going into issue two right now and we're all just getting business cards because so, <laughs> so fortunately we have had the opportunity to, to distribute across most of Europe, across both coasts in the U.S. And we really see kind of a future here and, and really that, that, that is an, a tremendous, um, I mean, testament to, I think, everyone else's work. But this started really six months ago between myself and um, kind of co-founder Charlie Lee, who is, you know, Charlie is, is still um, finishing up his BA at, at, um, at Yale in New Haven and kind of my, my, my best friend and there was no one else that I'd really go into this with. And we were sitting around one day and I had come out of working in film in New York kind of right during my final year of university and I moved to Berlin and I was sitting on my couch because I, I didn't want to do film in Berlin, or rather, better yet, I couldn't find good English-speaking film in Berlin. So I decided I didn't want to do it all together mm. um, because my German is good, but maybe not that good. So I was scooping ice cream during the day, and I was getting awfully bored. And I said to Charlie over an email or over in text, um, let's start a magazine because we have the same, the same kind of reading habits and whatever. And he said, sure, great. You know, this was August of the summer. We weren't doing anything. Everything's closed down. So we have an email thread going back six months that is titled Our Month of Starting a Magazine. And accordingly, I, um, I asked my very close friend, Sophie Pressgard, who I'd went to, uh, I went to university with. Um, we went to Penn together in Philadelphia. And she had worked to, with me on a previous publication that I had done at, um, on tattoo culture there. And I said, hey, Sophie, like, want to come on? And she's, yeah, sure, because I think it was August for her, too, and things were kind of slow, and you're like, yeah, why not? Um, and then all of a sudden, the three of us are working on, the, on it together, and I go over to New York, because um, this is right before I move here, and I was in New York um, traveling between Berlin and, and a couple of other places just seeing family, because, of course, things were slow, and I run into my friend um, Soren Steensig, and I tell him what I'm doing, like, great, I want to come on. And all of a sudden, he's like, okay, cool, we've got four people. And we made it through the first issue with four people. And, and through that period, I moved to London. Um, it got very serious. We, we started kind of investing real time and energy and, and money into it. And after issue one came out, which seemed like it could never, ever happen, we were holding it on our hands. And we're like, oh my god, we have something real. with us. Like we, we, we love this process more than anything in the world. And this is, this is what we want to do. 
like let's give it a shot you know and um and but we just realized that we were stretched a little thin you know because this is a reasonably hefty issue and we only want to get bigger and better and, and extend our reach um, and I was traveling, you know, because um, Alex Fisher in here, you know, is in Ukraine, and then others are in New York, and then others are, are in New Haven. So I was traveling kind of everywhere, and we needed, like, another person. And Soren said, Jacob, I have this friend Ryan who's very interested, you know, like, sharp as a tech, and can come in and, and really be an editorial force. And I said, great, let's talk. Um, so Ryan and I got on Skype together. And I came away from that interaction thinking it was like a match made in heaven. I, you know, and, and all of a sudden we turned from, you know, kids who just graduated university to kind of businessmen and, and, and businessmen and women, of course, business people. Um, and, and Ryan, you know, I think he came from MixMag um, right. in New York and he was just wrapping up his master's. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, look, I'm looking for an opportunity. I really believe in your, your kind of platform. Um, and I said, well, I believe in all your skills. So let's do it. And Ryan has come on as digital editor and is helping us craft an online platform um, to, to kind of mirror our print because we, in today's world, have to have some kind of online presence. Um, although somehow other magazines manage to have very, very spare websites, but that's probably not, not for us. Um, and he's kind of come on, not only, you know, originally as digital editor, and now he's doing a whole bunch of fiction stuff with Soren, because both of them are located in Brooklyn. Um, and it's, we have turned into one big happy family going into issue two. We printed 500 of these. We're going for 2,000 next time um, in a couple weeks. So we kind of, this started as a game six months ago, a way to pass the time. And I, I, can, I can tell you wholeheartedly that I wake up every morning hoping to create a career for myself and those I work with. Fantastic. I mean, well, listen, that's, that, it's great to hear a, a magazine coming out into the world like this. I, I love the idea of it just sort of tumbling out of like some spare time. The step up from 500 to 2000 is big. So what are the plans for, for that one? What will you be doing to make sure that you're not left with 1500 of these <laughs> copies of issue two? I think the plan is to stay naive and kind of stupid. <laughs> um, look, we, you know, I think it, you, you said it perfectly. We stumbled into this um, head first. You know, and I think before I knew it, this was my job. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I've told you this. I'm actually technically enrolled as a master's student at um, LCC in a course in the MA publishing course because I didn't think this was going to work out. <laughs> um, but I knew I'd love to do this, and I just I figured the magazine was going to flop. Um, and I don't know if it's altogether succeeded yet, but I, you know, we're, we've kind of stumbled through this and we've said, okay, we, we need to up our reach um, and we're just going to go for it. You know, I think for issue one, distribution was largely handled by myself and then and 10 books, the distributor came on to take a couple copies and they're taking um, at least, you know, they've, we have kind of certain terms surrounding it, but they're taking at least 10% of our next print run which takes a little bit of pressure on us, uh, off of us rather. Um, we have a whole host of people who are already supplying to. Um, fortunately, you know, we get emails daily saying we picked up your magazine and, and we want to, like, we either want to carry it or, which happened with the Tate, which was incredible. You know, that was, I, I never imagined that we could be in such a wonderful institution and, and to get an email out of the blue saying, like, I picked up your, your magazine and we want to stock you um, was crazy. And, 
and from people who want to contribute and kind of spread the good word. Um, so we're going to do that. And we also have a spreadsheet of about 500 locations around the world that we will beat down their door until they say yes. And, you know, by hook or by crook, those 2000 issues will get out there and we'll take it from there. You know, I think, I think our plan is to not have a plan and to roll with the punches because we know that there are going to be a lot of tough days, but we also know that I don't think, you know, I, I think I can say safely for myself and those, you know, um, and, and don't always want to speak for those I work with, but I think I feel comfortable in saying this, that right now we couldn't do anything else. This is what, this is the only thing we get up to do. Um, so if we're reduced to just handing them out on the corner, we'll do it. I don't, I don't, I don't much care. We don't do this for the money. We do it because we, we love it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's not going to happen. You're not going to be handing them out on corners. Meeting you, um, a, a lot of the content uh, makes a lot more sense. So, that, so you and I have emailed a little bit. Um, I had just assumed that you were a British person living in London. Um, a lot of the content has this interest in America and Americana. Mm. Um, is that something that you are consciously pursuing through the next issues or is that a function of just it's the people who you had contributing for the first one? It's funny. We're actually moving away from that a little bit. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't really understood it as such in my head because it really it just seemed to be our friends. And it, as it so happened, our friends were a lot of them were in the U.S. Um, there's a big Berlin influence in here. Um, but now, taking that I've kind of firmly relocated, and so, so you're now relocated in London. Yeah. yeah yes, I'm I'm London full time. Um, for a while, I was London and Berlin back and forth, and now I'm I'm pretty pretty firmly in London. Um, but the next issue is probably a, a reasonably um, British slant. Uh, you know, it's it wasn't really something that we were striving for. But then again, it's it's just kind of where it comes from out of the blue. Um, and when I say slant, you know, we have we have contributors coming from Berlin. We have two coming from Kiev. We have uh, a couple from London, some from New York, um, really everywhere. You know, and, and I think that like there there is in some ways, an Americana influence in this first issue. But I, I see that as more chance than anything else. And, and in some ways, I think some of the pieces that I think of as being representative of that kind of aesthetic are almost misleading, that they're not American at all. Um, you know, and I think, I think of um, Sarah Akizichi's work in here, the photographer, and some of her things seem to kind of like very much um, ooze this kind of like young freedom that, that I think can often be associated with that aesthetic. Um, but she's Turkish and she's living in Berlin. So it's, yeah, we kind of mix it up. So this first one is dated winter 2020. You say you've got your next one coming in a couple of weeks. So is, is that going to be a spring issue? Yeah, it's a spring issue. We, all of our invoices are dated April 16th to be due. So we need our next issue out by then. <laughs> um, otherwise, you know, we're, we're in a little bit of a, a pickle, but um, yeah, we're, we are trying to stick pretty firmly to a quarterly periodicity and that's difficult because this was a tough one to get out and to distribute when you don't kind of have any channels open. Um, so the turnaround was pretty quick, but we're hoping that, you know, the only way to settle into a flow is to at some point bite the bullet. Um, and really I was, I was saying to some of the editors earlier today, 
because there was a little bit of talk of like, do we slow things down? So these channels can open up again, you know, with regard to travel and, and freedom of movement, shipping things. And we realized we might be making things unduly difficult on ourselves. And I think my thinking is absolutely not, you know, like that's part of what we do. Part of what, you know, part of our mission is like, this is content for people who have no idea what's going on. And we certainly don't know what's going on, but we'll produce a magazine trying to figure something out. Um, and if we're not finding our readership in these moments, we're not doing what we set out to. Mm. Um, so if we're slowed down by forces that are out of our control, so be it. There's nothing we can do about that. But I can tell you, I, I plan on being on press early April to get this thing out there. Um, and what happens, happens. We, we should give some context. So the, this uh, episode will go up tomorrow. So... Uh, we are currently uh, sort of standing by and watching as coronavirus um, spreads and there are all sorts of like travel limitations and things like that. Um, a lot of people listen to these podcasts way, way after they were made. So uh, if you're listening in the future, I, I hope coronavirus didn't kill us all. <laughs> we're still here. But the, I mean, regardless of that, a quarterly um, release schedule is tough. Like, that's, that's, that's hardcore. How long do you think you guys have got working, at, like, at the arrangement you have now, you know, before everyone has to say, okay, I need to get paid for doing this now, so, you know, I need to make my living out of this? We grapple with that every day. Um, I'm, I'm the only one who's full-time, full-time. Uh, but most of the other editors function effectively on a full-time basis. Um, so... We, we, ask, I mean, we ask that every single day, um, and it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. Uh, but we really have said, we have certain goals for the end of the year. Um, we have certain financial benchmarks that we want to hit by the end of the year. And, and part of us going up to 2,000 is like, at some point you need to take these leaps of faith, and you can't really get there unless you do that. Um, but also we're kind of diversifying what we do. and and. Uh, you know, something that's really important for us is the um, fine art and photography content that we have. And coming into issue two, I think bar one exception, we own the exhibition rights to all of it and the sale rights to all of it. So all of a sudden we have a kind of a secondary market opening up. And I've been speaking with a number of gallerists um, with regard to setting up exhibitions and gallerists I really respect and, and would love to kind of associate our name with. Um, and then, so, you know, so let's say we have that. So you have the magazine, and all of a sudden you have um, kind of exhibition and, and fine art sales. And then, you know, I have a passion for fashion um, or elements of fashion. And all of a sudden we're, you know, we're working with, just very preliminarily, with um, companies like Everpress to sort out beginning merchandising. And we're kind of swiftly moving into the realm of following in the path of NO32C, for example, who runs effectively a fashion label as magazine merchandising. Um, and Jörg Koch is a, is a huge influence on what we do. Really, it's, it's just about diversifying. Um, and I think our mantra, our mantra is like, we may not make it, but if we don't, we're going to go up in flames. Like, we, 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 we will have tried everything. Um, so it's, you know, how long do we have? Probably not super long, but it's also, you know, without, without sharing too much, 
we can take a look in our bank accounts and feel that people are kind of catching on. Like it's, it's, you know, and especially providing for a team of five. And it's very, I mean, and I say this to everyone, it's very, very important to me that I help, you know, I, I help work for helping these five people establish careers and livings that they can support families on, um, which is, is not an insignificant, in, insignificant sum of money. Um, but we inch our way closer and closer every day. And six months ago, I would have told you, no way, we won't do it. Now I'm saying, uh, we, we might just do it. We might just do it. Awesome. Well, um, look, thanks so much for coming over. Um, really, really good luck with this second issue that's coming out. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. And uh, look, we all have our fingers crossed. <laughs> Hopefully it goes well. Thank you so much. Okay, that's all for this week. I would like to say thanks again to Jacob for coming over and speaking to me. I love his commitment to this magazine and his determination to either make it work or die trying. As I said, we have copies of Soft Punk in the Stack shop, so head over to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop if you'd like to see it for yourself. And we are definitely going to be getting hold of copies of issue two when they come out. So uh, depending on when you're listening to this, you may well be able to order copies of that one too. And of course, ordering from us is the best way to show your support for Stack. So if you're enjoying these podcasts, please do take a look through the magazines on the site and pick a few that catch your eye. Uh, And if you use the code podcast, uh, you'll save 10% off your order. Uh, That's just for people like you who listen all the way through to the end of these episodes. We've got loads more conversations with independent magazine makers lined up for the coming weeks, so follow us wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be able to deliver those to you as soon as they're ready, and we'll be back with our next episode next week.